Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. thankful for your presence. I pray that you would continue to move as we dive into your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, it would be uh, your words on my lips this morning, that if anything is of me, that you would allow it to just fall to the floor. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The year was 2008. I had recently graduated high school and begun my journey into a collegiate career, Southern Westland University. Now, at this point in my life, I did not like coffee, okay? It wasn't good, didn't enjoy it, bitter, gross. College has a way of changing people, <laughs> and it changed me, okay? It started out, I uh, needed caffeine, Right? I needed to stay awake because I played ping pong until midnight and I had to write a paper before 8 a.m. Okay, don't judge me, it happened, all right? There was Halo was involved, it was, it was a mess, but I needed the caffeine. And then I met this girl who liked coffee and she introduced me to cream and sugar. So I married her. No, but no, she, she began to introduce me to coffee, right? So we would, I got this little coffee maker, and you could have it in the room. And I had a friend who I'm still connected with today. I firmly believe because it was because of coffee, right? But they, they taught me that with cream and sugar, this bitter drink became bearable, right? Now, I didn't necessarily love it, but it got me through, and then the, a summer, a year later, I, I traveled with a, a ministry team for the summer and had a friend who introduced me to Starbucks and the caramel macchiato with extra caramel, right? And so you'd get this cup and you couldn't even see the coffee because there was so much caramel all around the cup. It was just pulled at the bottom. It's on the top. It's all over the cup. And it was delicious, right? And this began my journey with Starbucks. Now, at this point in time, I don't know if you still feel this way, but Starbucks had this like magic about it. Like you would go in, it was this whole experience as you entered into the, the uh, store, the, somebody would greet you as you walked through the door, you got up there to order your drink, they'd ask you your name and write it on the cup, and then you'd get there, and then they had all these holiday seasonal drinks, and, and it was just like going to Starbucks was an experience. And so 
we would work all, all, all week at these camps, and then the weekend we would go, and we would spend lots of money and time at Starbucks. And then as I'm in college, it was a chance to kind of go and hang out with friends. I used to have this profile picture that I would post every year that Lauren took of me at Starbucks. It was like, could have been for a commercial. It was a great picture, okay? It was, it was don't judge me, okay? Uh, and it was this whole experience. You could go and hang out with friends. You could get escape and get some work done. For Starbucks had this magic, this joy about going to the building and having that moment. And then I got a job there. <laughs> and as you can guess, the experience began to lose its magic, right? I learned the stress and anxiety behind why it felt magical to be a customer there. I learned the work that would go in and the, the tediousness of cleaning out trash cans and scrubbing toilets so customers had a clean experience. I learned the behind-the-scenes stuff, and it kind of lost its, its joy. It did happen at first, because at first there was lots of perks with lots of free coffee, and I began to understand and enjoy coffee culture, but Starbucks lost its magic, and in fact, it never got it back. Now, I feel like Starbucks has ran a little bit differently now, but I could care less. I love coffee shops, but I try to avoid Starbucks. It's too expensive, and you can have better experiences at a local coffee shop, okay? Now, that that said, this is like an experience that I think we've all felt before, where, where something in life over time has lost its magic, has lost its, its joy, and and you know, we're, we're entering into the Christmas season, so it's easy to think about Christmas, right? Everywhere you look, you hear the songs that sing about the joy of Christmas. You, you see the movies that have the joy of Christmas where everything works out in the end. You, you have Die Hard, which is a Christmas movie. Now, you have, you have the, the conversations, the books, the Christmas. And then you get those years where it seems to fall flat. I've had so many conversations where like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be excited and experience and have joy in the Christmas season, but it's just not there. And you know, I think that this is like a microcosm of a life experience. It's not just Christmas, but there's points in life where we know we're supposed to feel and experience joy but it's like the joy just isn't there. Sometimes, yes, it's because we're in a, a valley and things are going difficult, but sometimes it's just like life is just life and there's no joy. Today we look at a passage in Luke where joy seems to be the message. And it was through studying this passage that I came to a place where you guys know me. I love Christmas. Even the years where it seems like a struggle, I love Christmas. And it was because in studying this passage years ago, I kind of had this moment that allowed me to change the way I looked and entered into the Christmas season. And I think that that can help the way we experience those low, low and mundane moments of life, not just Christmas, but when we are seeking joy. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. You've probably heard this story. It's talked about every year, but don't let it become mundane. It's the story where the angel appears to the shepherds in the field. So let's go to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. He will find a, you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You've got some innocent shepherds minding their own business, doing the job that they've been asked to do. And then out of nowhere, these this angel appears before them and they are terrified. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. And you just get this image of like immense light and this messenger before them. And it declares that do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. There's this message of joy that the angel is declaring to these angels. And in that moment, the, the shepherds are hooked. Now, part of it is because there's an angel before them, okay? Like, that would grab our attention and keep us locked in. But when we look at this story, we see that these shepherds are glued in. They can't look away, eyes fixed on this angel, because this angel is bringing them the key to joy. It's bringing them this idea, this message that they are receiving that will change the world. And I think when we can grasp that message, it will change the way we look at life, Christmas, anything that seems to have lost its joy, and it can change the way we experience those things. But in order to understand that, first we have to understand the shepherds. Now the shepherds, they were outsiders, right? They were, their lives were ironic and ultimately unfair. These particular shepherds, we, we know through tradition that their job was actually caring for the lambs that would be sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. That was their specific job. So the, we know that they're caring for lambs and making sure that they're unblemished and worthy to be sacrificed for the, the uh, sins for the pe- of the people, right? That's their job, caring for these animals who would be the means by which a whole nation is made clean. Yet, because the shepherds were caring for these sheep, they were considered unclean. Their hands were dirty because of the dirty creatures they held, but those creatures would be sacrificed to clean a nation. You see the irony. You see how kind of messed up this situation is. The sheep were destined to be a part of ceremonial law that would make the people clean, while their shepherds were considered unclean and therefore unable to participate in the ceremonial law. Their life was unfair. The shepherd's life role was vital to the community they were a part of, yet they were considered outcast. Because they were ceremony unclean, people looked at them with this re- and regarded them as untrustworthy, as irreligious, and poor in reputation. 
this meant that even though, even though they looked at the shepherds as these dirty people to be avoided, they still required that the shepherds do their job well because their sheep were needed to atone for the sins of the community. They regarded the shepherds as dirty outcasts, but required them to do their job well, which meant even laying down their life to care for those sheep. These shepherds, they had this practice of of when a sheep would be born, they knew that it needed to remain unblemished. So first they would inspect it. They would inspect the the, the tiny little ewe lamb, all right, in the ewing season, and they'd find this little cute little baby lamb. I don't know if they're cute. I've actually never seen a newborn lamb, okay? But they're looking at it, and they they inspect it to try and find out if it has any blemishes. And when they learn that that it doesn't, they realize that if you don't care for it properly, they will blemish themselves. That through life, they'll get nicks or they'll get in shrubbery or something could happen. And so what they do when they're a baby lamb is they actually wrap them in cloth and they have this special tower that's there for these shepherds. And they go into the bottom level of this tower and they take these sheep and they sit them in a manger wrapped in a cloth so that the sheep will not become blemished accidentally on its own. They keep it from thrashing around until it's a certain age, and then they shepherd it in a way to protect it. And this expectation, this tedious expectation is placed on these shepherds, yet the shepherds are treated as outcasts. As I studied this passage, it struck me that this feeling of being an outsider is actually pretty universal. That there's moments in our life around some area where we feel isolated, alone, inadequate outsiders. For me, I, I had this season several years ago where I came to this realization and I, and I had this healing season, but, but I realized it when I kind of took an internal study of myself, right? And I realized that anytime I was having a conversation with somebody that I haven't seen in a long time or someone new, they kind of comes up and they ask you what you do, right? And whenever they asked me what I would do, I would have this moment of panic because I had shame around what I did. I was a part-time teller at 30 years old. 30 years old, I'm supposed to have all this drive and ambition, and I'm a part-time teller at Wells Fargo, surrounded by young ladies who are working their way through college, and old ladies who need money after retirement, okay? That's who surrounds me. There's not a single young male full of ambition trying to achieve things in their life. It's still that way. The only dude behind the teller line, okay? And so there's this sense of like, oh, cool. I'm really achieving things. I look at my peers, and they've got lives and careers that they're pursuing, and I'm just not there. But then he's like, you know what? I did, I did start a church. That's pretty ambition, right? Pretty ambitious. So like, I, would, I, I had some pride about that, but the truth was my idea and mentality of what a church should be was way different at this point in life. And I looked at the church that the Lord had called me and helped me start, and I felt shame and failure when I looked at it. But then I also had a coffee roasting company, right? And I had this coffee roasting company that ultimately was requiring effort and energy and time and not really giving me the benefits that I thought it would and would cause me to be away from my family. So, so I had shame about being a husband, shame about being a father, shame about not having a career, shame about being unsuccessful in everything I would do. So when this question would come up, immediately I would feel like an outsider, And I would try to 
compensate by saying everything I'm doing. Oh, yeah, I started a church. I work part-time as a teller. I started a coffee company. I have a, a father of two, your husband. And I made it sound really rigorous and like I was doing a really good job. But, and I made it sound really cool because I wanted people to approve and like and be inspired in all of me. But the truth was I did it because I felt inadequate. And I felt like if I had a full enough plate, I would be less of an outsider. And I realized through a season of healing that all of that was foolish. But I also realized that I wasn't alone in those feelings. Whether it's uh, uh, your physical health and physique or an economic status or social status, making a certain amount of money, whether it's competing with siblings, there are areas in all of our lives where we feel like an outsider. This loneliness of being outcast doesn't have any particular economic class that it pursues. Each and every one of us has experienced that moment of being an outsider. So we come in and we read this story and we read about these shepherds who are treated in this way. There's this sense of being able to relate and understand with who they are. Russ Ramsey says this, could it be that from the perspective of heaven, the poor shepherds outside of Bethlehem were no more or less poor than the rest of the world sleeping under its watch? Could it be that the poor of the earth were in fact all the people of the earth? Poor in spirit, mourning and meek, hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Could it be that the Savior's coming was for them as much as it was for anyone and for anyone as much as it was for them? We look at this story we see the shepherds as outcasts and we can relate. And these shepherds somehow in that season of being outcasts and outsiders found joy in this great news. And that's because there was a gift coming, a king that was coming. And that gift wasn't for the elite. It was. <laughs> that gift was for the outsiders. Here in the midst of the, their, their outcast reality, the shepherds receive this message. And look how it happens. Look how the angels communicate this message to the shepherds. First, they start by calming their fears. There's this sense of hospitality. The angel goes to the outsiders and welcomes them into the fold unintended. They go to the outsiders and welcomes them in with hospitality. We see there's a calming of their fears in verse 10. The angel says, do not be afraid. Look, I proclaim the good news of great joy that will be for all people. We see that the angel uses familiar language. Remember we talked about the, the clothing of the lamb, the wrapping it and swaddling it and putting it in this major. That's the language that the angel uses. It says in verse 12 that there will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in clothing and lying in a manger. The shepherds knew that this meant that the baby that the angels were talking about would be a sacrifice for the people. The angels were outsiders, the, the shepherds were outsiders, yet the angels used the language that they would know and understand, welcoming them in. The last thing we see is they offered them an invitation. It says in verse 11 Today in the city of David, a savior was born. Unto you, unto the dirty, unclean, outcast 
shepherds. They were the ones to receive this message. Though the shepherds lived most of their life on the outside looking in, today the king has come and they would not be outsiders to his gift. They were the recipients of it. The angel could have gone to anybody, but he didn't. He didn't go to the king. He didn't go to the elite. He didn't go to the clean. The angel had a message that would cause joy for all people. But that message first came to the poor, dirty, powerless outsiders. Why would God move like this? Why would he bring his message of great joy in this way? Why would he send this message to these dirty shepherds? It's because with faith in Jesus, you are in. The shepherds, though outsiders, were invited into this great gift, to participate in this gift, to hear and receive this message, and then to take it unto the world. Social status is irrelevant. Bank account doesn't matter. Manicured nails are unimportant. Clean and fashionable clothes. Who cares? This message is for everyone. With Jesus, no matter how outcast and downcast you feel, you are invited in. All that matters is that Jesus is inviting us in. God chose to introduce baby Jesus to the poor and dirty first. And we can be sure that he welcomes us just as he welcomed them. As a pastor, so frequently I hear people talk about how can a God who is so far away invite them in? People frequently wonder how they can connect with a God who is so different from them, who is so far away. This snapshot of the shepherds being welcomed in a way that was familiar to them is a way that welcomes us too. It makes us sure that God knows how to best speak with us in a language and manner that we can grasp. The Lord who created you gives us his spirit Even before we follow him and his grace and mercy, his spirit can whisper into our hearts, speaking a language that we can know and grasp. It doesn't matter how accomplished you are, how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have, what life experiences you've experienced. What matters is the Holy Spirit knows you better than you know yourself. And the Lord, our God, can speak to you in a tangible way that you can grasp and understand. That is a God that knows us intimately and loves us dearly. And he can speak to us. So often we feel far from God, but God is never far from us. For these shepherds, baby Jesus was so approachable. He was approachable for them then, and Jesus remains approachable for us today. Like the shepherds, we are outsiders. And like the shepherds, the gift is for outsiders. But what is this gift? What is this key to joy that the angel speaks of? What is the good news that will cause joy for all people? You're here at a Christian church. This is going to shock you. It's Jesus. Jesus is the reason for this joy, obviously. We hear it every year. He's the reason for the season, 
But think about the work that these shepherds are doing, raising these lambs to atone for the sins of the people. They know the reality of the brokenness of the world. They know what it's like to be treated less than. They know what it's like to be unclean. They are hyper aware of humanity's needs to be redeemed. Their people need to be delivered. They desperately need a king. And then listen to the words that the angel uses while speaking this message to them. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. It will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I'm going to quote Ramsey again. The angel's words painted a picture of the glorious presence of the promised redeemer. He used names to describe this coming Messiah to the shepherds. These names spoke to this Messiah's purpose. He called him Savior, meaning that he would atone for the sins of the people. He called him Christ, distinguishing him as their deliverer. And he called him Lord, identifying him as divine. The king has arrived. He came to be the perfect lamb, the ultimate lasting sacrifice. This baby was coming to accomplish and establish peace between God of all creation and his image bearers who over and over again reject him. From the manger in Bethlehem to the cross at Calvary, Jesus moved among the people. He went into their homes. He touched their blind eyes. He permitted their unfaithful hands to touch him. He taught them profound lessons from ordinary events. He defended the defenseless. He opposed those self-righteous. He ate at their tables. He laughed with their children. He wept over their grief. Over and over again, we see Jesus acting, and never once did he abandon his purpose and everything he did, all the people that he healed, all the people that he spent time with, it was all in this effort to, uh, to accomplish his purpose. He never wavered. So what was that purpose? It was to die for the world of spirit-poor outsiders as the Lamb of God who takes away their sin. One theologian said it like this, Jesus was born poor, he died poor. He lived poor and he died poor for the sake of his people. Jesus came into the world the same way he would leave it, out in the open, among the outcasts, the poor and the despised, but driven by one purpose. You know the Christmas song. <laughs> to ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile until the Son of God appears. That was the good news. That is the good news that will cause joy for everyone. And all that, and that is what the focus of Christmas is. When we get to this place where life feels mundane and dry or in the dark places, we know that we can have joy because we are not focusing on what's going on around us, but we are focusing on the fact that no matter how dark it gets or how dirty or outcast we feel, we have a Savior who came into this world and died for our sins, and we have forgiveness. That that is no matter what. When we follow Jesus and place our faith in him, that forgiveness is ours no matter what. That is how we have this eternal joy. That night in the field, those shepherds had an experience they had never experienced before. Never once had they had an angel appear to them and tell them about a coming Savior. 
And there's this incredible moment where you're left reading, how are they going to respond? Are they going to ignore it? Are they going to be skeptical? Are they going to be scared? This was big news, and the shepherds could sense it. But what I love about this story is the angels knew it. As you can see, as the story unfolds, at first there's just one angel. This one angel is talking to the shepherds, but as soon as this angel announces the birth of Jesus, it says, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. In that very moment when Jesus is announced, it's like the angels were standing there and they can no longer contain themselves. And they're, they're watching what's gonna happen. And as soon as Jesus is proclaimed, they appear and they can't help but sing out glory to God in the highest. There's this moment, it's, a, it's a, a praise break. You guys know what I mean when I say praise? Have you ever had the opportunity to go to like a traditionally black church? All right, I, I talked a few weeks ago about uh, Dr. Williams and uh, she was one of our teachers, but she allowed it. We uh, went to church with her and, they, and the, the service is very well structured. Like we're singing these songs at these times. This is the pastor who's gonna be bringing this message and then we're gonna close with this communion or whatever it was, and we're going to close with this song. And then down at the very bottom, it says, subject to change with the Holy Spirit. And you're like, okay, I can get behind this. And so the service is going, and there's a point where, where the pastor is talking, and he makes he says something that's really profound. Like, you can just feel the way. I, I find, when I hear this, I find myself going, Whew, right? So it's one of those moments. Like, the pastor says something, and I'm just like, whew, but everybody else feels it too. And man, they got some musicians and the, music, the, key, the guy on the keyboard just kind of hits a run and you're like, oh. And there's this moment where then everybody, the, the, the people in the congregation, they just know how to respond. They break out the tambourines and it's like people are singing and worshiping and God is moving and it's this powerful moment and it's this praise break because this message of Jesus has been proclaimed and people can't contain themselves but to worship him. And there's this moment in this text where, where the angels, you know they're there, they're there but you can't see them and there's like they're just watching because they know this moment is big and they're just watching and watching and listening and the moment the one angel of the Lord says that the, for a savior is born suddenly they can't contain themselves they break out the tambourines they have this worship praise break moment and it's this I mean imagine being the shepherds you got one angel which is like what is happening and then you hear this good news and all of a multitude of heavenly hosts Break out in song and praise and worship. And that becomes the lens in which the shepherds view the rest of the story. Everything they hear from the angel's mouth. When they get up and it's all over and they get up and they travel to Bethlehem. Everything they do is done through the lens of these angels' joy. It changes their worldview. See, joy, yes, I think it expresses itself in a praise break like the angels. But joy is not an excited, everything is working out like it's supposed to be. Joy is not some big emotion that's happiness. It can be, it can be, but it's not just that. Joy is a world view. It's a lens in which you view what's going on around us. That was the key for these shepherds. And I think that is the key for joy no matter what. Joy through all circumstances. Joy when the magic seems to be lost. Because we know 
Ultimately, we are broken, dirty, unclean outsiders. But we have a Savior who died for our sins so that we are forgiven, but we are also given his spirit and power over sin that we can live in freedom because of the price that he paid. And that becomes the lens in which we view the world, and it changes the way we experience life. Joy is a worldview, not blind optimism, but an understanding that we are forgiven, we are delivered, and our king is reigning. And he meets us where we are, even on the outside. Even as dirty, need, as dirty and needy as we are, he is with us. Do you need help moving from this, from wherever you're at into this joy lens, this joy worldview? The truth is you can't get there on your own. And we don't have time to get into it today, but in Acts, Paul has been rejected. Let's say that. He's been rejected in Acts 13. At the end, it says that the disciples, he and the disciples are filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's God in us that allows us to have that worldview. It's God in us that allows us to view through the lens of the joyful angels. If you need to know where to start, if you need to know where to start in this holiday season or with whatever you've got going on in your life, start where the shepherds started. They immediately got up and went to this young family. And when they arrived, you think about, <laughs> we have a new baby at our church. And when the baby arrives, we're all like, oh, let me see this cute little baby, right? When they arrived to this young family, yeah, they wanted to see the cute little baby, but it was more than that. They wanted to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You want to start somewhere where you can move into this joy lens, where you can experience this gift that, the, that is there for the outsiders that the angels are talking about? Start here. Behold Jesus. Adore Jesus. That's why I love Christmas so much, because I know that every year this Christmas season rolls around, and despite what's going on around me, I am forced to take a step back and remind myself of the beauty of my Savior who stepped down out of heaven onto this earth to die for my sins. And we see this moment of the birth of our Savior King, that the King has arrived, and I can just reflect and behold Him, be in awe of His glory and His beauty. And that allows, allows me to step into this joy lens and experience the joy of Christmas, or the joy of life in general, because I know that my Savior, my King, has arrived. Will you join me in beholding the Lamb of God? Let's pray.